everyone. I'm Reverend Carla and welcome to Spirituality Matters, a podcast that focuses on the intersection of spirituality and humanity. So let's settle in and find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let us be reminded that the holy transcends our physical bodies and our time together is just as sacred and meaningful as if we were sitting beside one another. All right, let's get started. Today's episode is entitled Living on the Edge of Life. The subtitle of this is The Silent Sacrifices of the Selfless. This podcast is inspired by my blog posts for this week, which you can find at revcarla.com. Now, this story that I share in this um, blog is very meaningful to me. It's in honor of a dear friend that I lost this summer. Um, So I tell the story in the blog about something that occurred as I was watching, as I was attending her memorial service and becoming aware of the selfless giving that not only just touched our lives, those of us who knew her and worked with her, but those in her family's life. And I started to see this theme happen as you saw the picture scrolling by and understanding what um, that what her presence uh, meant. And, and I, I heard this phrase, the silent sacrifices of the selfless, because that's that's who she was. And I think that either you know someone or you are that person who is so integral to life, whether it's in your family, uh, your family structure, or it's in your friends or your work structure, whatever it is. And, you know, I, in the past in my other podcast, I have talked about grief and sorrow and loss. This isn't the first time, and I know I'll come back to it another time. But the reason I find this so um, important and sacred is because it, again, and I've shared this time and again, but especially around the holidays, this is an important reminder that grief arises in the tender moments of life in the tender moments of living and around the holidays is certainly that time where you're not only dealing with the the extra scheduling and the stress and the pressure that may come from that, but also the anticipation of the gatherings that may bring excitement, but also some dread. And then in the middle of that, oftentimes grief arises and people often feel it like palpably in this season of the darkness in the Northern hemisphere, we're having our, our winter time. And this is a time for the darkness to arise and whether it causes some kind of introspection or a movement towards coming, going in, it's very real. So you have a couple of things going on here from the time of the uh, autumn equinox up to the winter solstice, we're turning towards the darkness, but then we also have this pressure that mounts from the holidays that often brings memories of those that we have loved and lost. So for her, this, this, this friend I lost, um, who died this, this summer, it was just, I was, I was struck by how 
she lived life on the edges of her family, but yet she was so integral. She was never the center focus point, except for some wedding, a few wedding pictures that were there from her wedding. Um, she was always on the outer edges. And it occurred to me that because she was the one taking care of things, she was the one setting the camera and the timer, making sure everybody could be seen, the lighting was good. And then she, at the very last minute, would bring herself into frame. Sometimes she was leaning in a little bit just to make sure she was captured in that picture too. She wanted to make sure she was included. No one else looked like they were worried. They knew that she would be the one to take care of that. So... I didn't know, I knew I would eventually write about her. And I think I I know I've shared this on social media in different places that this past year, 2023 has been a year. And I know I'm not the only one who feels that, but in my own life, I lost three friends in four months. So she was right in the middle of this, this trio of loss. And I knew I would, I will write about each of them and I'll talk about each of them, but this one, I knew it would arise and I knew it would have something to do with living life on the outside of the edges of your life, but how important those tasks that, that the way we touch a person's life, isn't the fact, isn't the way we show up with largesse. That, it, that doesn't mean that those things aren't important. Like whatever we, the, the, the primary way that we show up, who we are, but it's also in those subtle ways, in those ways that we touch people in the everyday moments of living. And that was what she exemplified. So this blog is part eulogy, but it's also an invitation to pause and think about your own grief, but also those people in your life who live in the outer edges, who might love to know that you care, who might want to know that you notice what they do, but also if that's you, then making sure that you have permission to take care of yourself to maybe step away from those who maybe not even know that they they take advantage in the way family or loved ones do. Oh, so-and-so will just take care of it. Oh, so-and-so will just take care of it. And not realizing that they're taking advantage of, of who you are. And, and, and again, how we respond to that oftentimes uh, comes from our own indoctrinated beliefs that we're responsible The responsible thing to do is to hold all these responsibilities because that's what it's, it's always what's been expected of you. When in reality, we can let some of those things go. I often talk about how I, when I look back in my deconstructing journey, I can point to places where I was deconstructing from things that I didn't even put together as part of the deconstruct, that hint that I was going to be deconstructing. But I remember I was, you know, I was my, uh, the caretaker and the guardian for my aunt for almost 15 years and towards the end of her life. And yes, caregiving is very hard and time consuming and can be very exhausting. But when you're in it, you're in it. Ask anybody who's, who's taking care of family members, you are just in it. And I remember knowing with a deep sense of confidence that When she passed, I was going to have great peace and absolute 
uh, assurance and be fine with the decision that I was going to walk away as the family coordinator of events. I did it for my aunt so that to ensure that we got together to honor her birthday and holidays and any kind of special event that was integral to her life and meaningful for her. But once she was gone, I was going to retire, quote unquote, retire from that responsibility. Sadly, that meant that most gatherings stop, but I have to be okay with that for my own well-being. I, to, to hold on to that as something that I needed to keep and, and hold that pressure and that guilt is just is too much. And it's not mine to hold. That's an in, that's part of an indoctrinated belief that says, well, this is something I've always done. So I'm going to continue to do it. No, my life has changed. My priorities have, have shifted and it is absolutely okay for me to set these things down now. They were mine for a season and I honored it beautifully. And I tended to it until it was no longer mine to take care of. So that somebody needed to hear that today as well. Now, what I want to get into a little bit is like, I, you know, I know we've talked about this and I think it's important to revisit some things around grief because let's be honest, we do not do it well. We do not handle grief well, especially in our religious, familial uh, societal educational indoctrinations. It's almost as if we're taught to keep grief at bay, that we don't have to do anything other than just acknowledge it and go back into our lives. Like it's almost like a responsibility that we have to, all right, here's the, here's the time allotted for my grief. And that's going to show up and people are going to tell me that they're going to come up and express their condolences at the moment of the memorial service or however you honor the, the dead. And after that, you just go on with your life. That's checked off and you just now need to move back in the normalcy of your life without bringing the baggage of your grief. And we, we don't do it well. I know someone who was grieving horribly and really having a hard time with the loss of a friend from a horrible tragedy and whose boss, when they were struggling and wanted to work through some of that grief and, and this person had gone to their boss to talk about it. And the boss said, I really think you need to, to get over this now. Isn't it time to get over this now? And completely oblivious to the pain that this person was experiencing. Now, look, I get that there, that life goes on, businesses go on, the laundry must be done. The, your life needs to be tended to, but unless we find ways to understand the ways that grief will now be held in our heart, in our existence, how it changes us, then we will be, we are destined to continue to reject its impact, reject, deny its presence, and not recognize the gift it gives us for how we show up in our lives. Because accepting that grief and sorrow are about who we are now, I've heard it expressed as grief is love with nowhere to go. Or that the part that held the love for that person has now been replaced with sorrow. Any one of those analogies or um, symbolic uh, meanings 
can, if it's meaningful to, to you, then by all means, hold on to them and integrate them into something that that helps you hold that space for what is now, now who you are. It's because grief isn't something like getting a vaccine shot, having some kind of adverse reaction and then moving on. It isn't that way at all. We carry it with us. And it, every once in a while, it pops up in a stronger version of itself because it's asking for light. It's asking for a seat at the table to remind you this happened and you're still holding that loss. So if we start to look at, at grief as one of our journeys, one of the journeys of life that comes along with us, I think that helps us recognize its its influence its influence on us. Um, there have there's been a lot of talk in the past about the five stages of grief, and I think some people still find that meaningful. So you know the the five stages of grief of denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance that for a long time was taught as linear. Like you're just going to, this is, ah, I see you're at stage three. Congratulations. You've left stage two behind. That's not it at all. For so many people, it's not just those five stages. It's 350 stages and how it manifests in your life will also show up differently. I saw this graph the other night preparing for this podcast uh, imagine a circle and inside there you have not only the five stages, but you have, you know, uh, some of the behavior that comes out from those stages, whether it's overindulgence in some way, if it's laying in bed for three days or whatever, whatever it is, you have that. And, and instead of showing it's it, a circular, like almost like you would see movement around a clock, you see this line that goes from the top right down to the t bottom left and then back over to the top left and then squiggly line down to the bottom right and squiggly back line back up to the top right. And it's just all over the place. The diagram is a hot mess. And what it was trying to portray there is the way that grief will not only permeate our lives, it shows up in very unpredictable ways. And when we understand that, then we can not only be ready for it, but not be surprised by it because it's blindsiding us is often what de debilitates us. Not acknowledging that it's coming along with us is what is debilitating is debilitating to us. So oftentimes I've talked about having the ritual of altar work around the anniversaries or something meaningful to help you bring that, acknowledge the grief and bring that what once was, honoring what once was to the gathering can be extremely meaningful. And we'll talk more about that in just a in just a little bit. But in case you didn't hear it the first time, I wanted to make sure that you did hear that the five stages of grief are not linear and that it's something that you can move through and then come back and revisit. And that the fact that it's also part of your journey. And of course, how it impacts your daily life is going to depend on how you're moving, how you're accepting of and able to cope with your grief. And it isn't uncommon that many of us will need strong emotional, mental, spiritual support to get through 
our grief journey. And it doesn't stop like, you can't say, okay, it's been six weeks. Now I don't need anybody. It's so it's not just, it's not just about how we handle grief, but it's also how people handle our grief. Like I just told the story of that person whose boss was so non-responsive and detached from what the grief journey is, but how the people that you're surrounding yourself with, and if they aren't capable of showing up with a level of compassion that allows you to have your grief journey, not in the way that they expect you to do it, but what what you need, what you need for your journey then perhaps that's where you do look for support through a support group or some kind of help, whether it's a spiritual counselor or a licensed therapist to help you go through uh, some of what you're dealing with so that it, it ends up in a way that you can explore what does healing look like? What does growth beyond the pain look like? And depending on if you're holding grief right now and you hear me say something like that, that can feel very adversarial. It can feel almost just almost sacrilegious to think about your life being anything other than just wretched because of where you are and how you're holding the grief right now. But ultimately, I will say this, and I want to say this very gently and lovingly for those of you who are who are on a grief journey that's still very raw. Ultimately, the grief you carry should be one that can be a, integrated into your life and be a part of you, who you are so that you're able to return to your life. It's It's hard to say a better version of yourself, but a different one, perhaps a little bit more gentler perhaps a little bit more introspective. Something about you will be inherently changed because everything about your life has drastically changed. So that is when when we're walking people through grief to get them to the point where they can find a way to to return to their life is, is very important, is incredibly important. Now, depending on, you might have some, uh, situations and you might know this, or you might have experienced where the grief was so intense that you actually experienced physical symptoms that even go beyond depression. Like you may have had uh, r- physical pain, or you may have had gastrointestinal issues. You may have had heart palpitations. Those very much are all real and re- and signal the need for medical intervention or psychological in- intervention to help you with that. I will tell you that I know two people whose grief overwhelmed them to the point that being here on this physical plane was too painful. And I watching them decline and deteriorate and reject any forms of comfort, not only any forms of comfort, but any forms of nourishment that contributed to their demise that started with a significant uh, grief event, death, that triggered so much trauma from their past that there was no getting back from that. Now, that is not a common response, 
But it is, again, a, a warning for those of you who think you're doing okay. If you're not able to return to your life in some way because of the grief you're carrying or the sorrow that you're carrying, and it feels overwhelming and it feels heavy and you don't know who you are without this loved one or whatever event happened to you, because grief can manifest itself in many different ways. Uh, from many, not only manifest itself, but because of various events. I've, I've often tell people who feel guilty that they're really struggling after the loss of a pet, that the heart knows no difference. Loss is loss is loss. And especially when you look at our pets who love us unconditionally, and then we then in turn integrate them in our lives in a way where there's not many memories where they're not there in the picture, in the foot, on our lap, you know, around our feet. We, we, there's just not much there that doesn't include them journeying through our maturity, our lives with us. They were there. And so when that life force is gone, it's palpable. You feel the void. And in many uh, kinds of religious traditions, the energy, the spirit, if you will, of animals is just as real and sacred as the human. So that void is something that we can actually feel, not only in our hearts, but just like in down into our soul. So it can be the loss of a, a relationship. It can be the loss of a house that you lose to tragedy. It can be all kinds of things that create a grief cycle in us that deserves to be acknowledged and cared for. So it's important that we pay attention to like, oh, I didn't realize what, what's wrong with me. Why am I, why am I feeling so out of balance? Oh yeah, this happened and I'm grieving. So, you know, who in your life can help you with those situations when you can't see what's what's going on? If you don't have the the resources or you haven't been done that kind of work, which we call soul work or shadow work, where you're able to like sit and say, okay, what's arising in me? And how can I find the source? Then having someone who can mirror back to you what's happening to find that can be a very, very powerful very, very powerful experience. I'll give you a, a real uh, life event for me that had nothing to do with death, physical death. In 2015, when Trump became the nominee for president, the Republican nominee for president, I was triggered. I, first of all, I knew he was going to win because I knew who would vote for him and I knew how many out there would because I came from that. And I came from that evangelical background and I knew that his talking points would speak directly to them. So I, every time I talked about him, every time I heard his name, I could not stand to look at him, could not stand to hear his voice. And it really hit me one day about this vitriolic reaction I'm having to this person and this anger that was almost felt like a blind rage. What is going on with me? Why am I triggered so much by this? So the, the smartest thing I did, the wisest thing I did was recognize that the, that the anger was pointing me to something else. The anger 
was pointing me to something that needed light and I needed to figure out what I, what it was. And I was so triggered that I was not able to do it alone. So I called one of my seminary siblings and I asked them to walk through me for, you could call it an accountability session. I, I hate that so many of these phrases have been hijacked by cult-like organizations and uh, manipulative tactics because an accountability session or someone who can mirror back to you is an incredibly powerful uh, spiritual tool that has, doesn't have to have anything to do with control or anything like that when it's used for the greater good. But when it's used to bring you into a system of obedience, then it's it's used wrong. But for this, um, it was wonderful because my friend was showing up as an objective person who was not attached to the outcome. She wasn't trying to bring me into a cult or get me to pay her for any kind of sessions or anything like that. This was just us working together. So we started to have a conversation and her using her intuitive skills started asking me some questions and I could feel that triggering start to rise. And this went on for over, I don't probably 20 or 30 minutes. And then the emotions became really raw for me. And I started to cry and I couldn't understand where the tears were coming from. And then the rage returned because rage will often happen when tears are there because this vulnerability and, and then the ego's got to protect. You're being so vulnerable with yourself that the ego's got to protect and put anger in front of it because you're getting way too close to the truth. So I'm going to, I'm going to trust this process and I'm going to burst through that anger to understand that I was dealing with grief. I was dealing with grief because I had been rejected by the very people who were embracing Donald Trump. They did not want me. They wanted him. See, I had, I had left evangelical Christianity because I could no longer, I tried to change it from the inside. I had worked for that, but I always was chastised corrected, told I had a spirit of offense. And eventually when I left, they wanted nothing to do with me. And yet this person more accurately represents their faith and I'm the one being rejected. And then as intuitively as she possibly could, she, my friend just was silent while I processed that and cried and cried and cried and realized that that was another level of my deconstructing deconstructing that I didn't see coming. And I'll never thank the existence of Donald Trump in, in leadership, but if I could take that empowering moment, which it was for me, and say how important that was for my healing journey, I was able to turn it into something that then... I knew what I was dealing with and then in turn, move it back to my life. Now I understand I'm carrying this grief because of this rejection and how can I turn it, use it for the good of the whole? How can this now become something that can enrich me? Because it is what it is, but how can I not let it overcome me so that every time I see his face, I'm triggered. What if I work through it and it helped me gain my voice to become an advocate against him to understand this connection and, and be able to teach about 
this blind obedience that evangelical Christians have to anyone who's going to justify and rationalize their racist, homophobic, and sexist agendas. So that's just an example of that I wanted to offer as a way to show you that not only do we not do grief well from the loss of loved ones, when we have grief events in our lives from other things, we don't recognize it as such. So we continue to carry that and think, oh, I should just get over this. Well, what is going on? And we try to bury that. So eventually over time, we had a lot of stuff we're carrying around. That suitcase gets really, really heavy. So that's why it's not uncommon that somewhere in your 30s or 40s, you're just done. Something's got to change. And only inside your organized religion are you seeing like, well, here's our options for how we'll help you change it. Basically, you're broken. You have to change because they're not going to change. They have nothing more to offer you except to give it to God. Give it to God, which is meaningless for you because you're still feeling the weight of this. Okay, so let's talk a little bit, shifting gears real quickly here because I'm already pushing the time that I like to have these uh, podcasts. But we have talked about ways to create and honor the presence, whether it's creating a legacy, whether it's having story time during your family events, maybe creating uh, ways where you can have, I don't want to call it a shrine, but maybe altars, these memory sharing events and inviting people to bring things to the to the gathering that can help bring you all together and to remind you of how you're all connected. And then considering when it's time, and, and sometimes it doesn't come for a while, if at all, but how can you transform your grief into action? How can it become something where you can, it, it, it contributes to your personal development, it becomes something that you do as an act of community service, in activism or advocacy, like I said, my story about Donald uh, Donald Trump and understanding that I had been rejected and being able to turn that into an educational moment. How do you? How do you? How? What is available for you? Are there options for you to say I can turn this into love, an outward pouring of love for the loss that I hold inside? Okay, let's begin to wrap this up with just a quick walk through this concept again of the unseen impact of the selfless. Because I just did a video recently about compassion fatigue and the the because of the invisible work that we may do, whether it's through daily contributions or the um, how we how we show up in other people's lives. I just want to I want to say this about about that. If you are a caregiver of someone and you have no breaks and this feels never ending, beloved, it will end. But I understand your exhaustion. And I tell that a little bit about the story of my friend who I lost, who are, who was her mother's caregiver. And I saw the toll it took on her and the fact that two or three months after her mother's passing, she too was dead. And we all wanted for her to have life outside the burden of her mother. And no, we, no one asked or was 
looking forward to her mother's passing. Her mother was in her nineties. This was just going to be part of the natural aging and, and her passing. But it is a story about how can, and I'm even before I say this, I'm going to just let you know, I don't have the answers because I don't necessarily think I did the best job in the world when I was the caregiver of my aunt. How can we take care of others without losing ourselves? That living life on the edges can be a fulfilling, enriching life. But how can we do that and not take care of ourselves? Because those ripples of small actions, yes, they move us all in kindness and love. But that doesn't mean that you are the only one that has to move the water. Are we often, are we responding from a place of this indoctrinated belief that only we can do it and only we can do it right? What is exactly ours to carry? I've often talked to people who are caring for aging parents and they're exhausted. They're absolutely exhausted. I see it in their faces. And after just coming through that with my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, I could also see and certainly understand that until one day it's just over. And then you're left with this void of then trying to deal with oftentimes guilt because you can't help but think of the things that you would be doing if you weren't taking care of them, but also dealing with this void and learning how to create new learning how to create new routines. I, if anything, I guess I acknowledge all of this in a way to say, I see you. I don't have the answers. I remember talking to someone who was taking care of their loved ones at the same time I was taking care of my aunt. And this woman said, we were sitting there both feeding our respective family members. And she said, you know, it'd be really nice to have a support group, but who has time to attend? And I remember looking at her going, yeah, you're right. When you're in it, there's no time. There's no extra time to say, hey, I want to go now talk to people who can, who understand what I'm going through because you're going to use that time for your own things, for your own children, for your laundry, for whatever it is to read a book because it feels as if it never, it's never ending until it ends. It feels like it's going on forever until it's over. It feels like you can't handle one more task until you have no tasks left to do. And it's it's a weird paradox of life that we carry these things because sometimes we are the only one who can. And then when that person's gone, the mix of relief and guilt can also overwhelm us in the loss because then now all of a sudden you're spiraling back, most often spiraling back to the child who remembers this vibrant presence in your life that now became this person that you cared for through their final moments. So like I said, that part does not have solutions. All I can do today is offer you when grief arrives. And it will find you as it finds all of us that you feel its presence and you welcome it to the table and you invite it to 
guide you through whatever parts of that circle that you need to go to, to dance around with it, to find your way spiraling out of it for a season to return back to your life. Maybe you won't feel as a better version of yourself, but maybe a different one. Recognizing that now grief walks alongside you and it will come along and it will ask for attention every once in a while. And then you will give it space, offer it gentleness as you pause and honor what once was. And I invite you during this season of darkness to consider what in your life is asking for light. What grief are you holding? What needs tending to in the dark recesses of the heart and soul? And blessed be. Thank you so much for listening, beloved. You can watch the uncut version of today's episode on my YouTube channel, Spirituality Matters with Rev. Carla. You can also connect me on all the social media channels. And you can also find me now in Rev. Carla's Inner Circle on Facebook, which is absolutely free. I'm in there answering your questions several times a week. Okay, beloveds, I'm honored to be in this space with you. Go in peace, be at peace. Go in love, may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you and you are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved just the way you are. Blessings on your week and I'll see you soon.